The year is 1983. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. My Marvel this year, the podcast and reading club where we're going through the origins of Marvel Comics from... No, we're not going through just the origins. What am I talking Mm. about? We're going from the origins to today. Mm -hmm. We are currently on 1983 Part 3. This is our first four-part year as we read through the essential storylines from the Marvel publication year of 1983. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of comicbookherald.com. Beta Ray Busing, love it. I'm joined today by an individual who is frequently drunk and frequently wearing armor. How's it going, Zach? Dean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We don't we don't do a ton of live streaming. We do it occasionally for our patrons, and of course, if you want to support the show, it's greatly appreciated. You can go on over to Patreon.com/slash/MyMarvelousYear. That is, I will note, especially appreciated. Uh, in these times, in these crazy, crazy days we are living in, uh, those of you who can support in any way, whether that's on Patreon or leaving a rating and review over on iTunes, uh, super, super appreciated. So thank you. But where was I going with that, Zach? Um, that I wear full plate mail had during recording? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah no, it's we don't not, do it's not like a mechanical stream, I was gonna robot say is, armor, but it is, it is medieval. Just my medieval Oh, it's very medieval, medieval right. Yeah. And you clearly stole it. <laughs> like you clearly took from, that from, from a, a, a local museum. medieval times yeah 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 it's like some of it's just plastic a, some of it's armor i'm just a fast it's got it's got the medieval times stamp on it um we, yeah we should probably never <laughs> actually live stream that but that's not what we're going to focus on today we're going to focus on the comic books that we read we've got some good ones today in 83 part three if you're reading along with us you can find the reading list in the show notes or uh, you can always go on over patrons get them ahead of time and in the full master list. And of course, uh, you can also find them on at mymarvelthisyear.com or at the Comic Herald newsletter. Today, we're going to talk about a great Black Widow story in Marvel fanfare mm-hmm. Iron Man, the debut of Walt Simonson on Thor, and some pretty good Fantastic Four stuff. Let's start yeah. with Marvel fanfare number 10 to number 13, aka the best Black Widow story for a clean 20 years. I would argue more. I would argue until approximately 2010, 2011. I mean, the only good Black Widow story, maybe? Besides, like, I mean, her cameo appearances have been good sometimes, but, like... Like, to date, I mean, you mean? No, yeah, to 1983. No, she's she's good in uh, Miller's Daredevil, Miller and Jansen Daredevil. No, but that's what I'm saying. She's like She does a cameo appearance there. Like, she hasn't had her own series or, like, her own... It's not adventures. a solo. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. I don't think she's had anything close to this that's, like... Black Widow focused, where she's not, you know, one of a team. Or just cameo yeah, certainly not that we've read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would yeah. agree in that in that sense. And art by my boy George Perez, good stuff. I uh, I feel like he's channeling. He can channel Kirby in some ways with his like big, hyper detailed like backgrounds. Um, mm-hmm. Except that he doesn't kind of do these like mandala like things where Kirby does. You feel like there's a little more like rhyme and reason. To the big like machinery and buildings and these these huge layouts he does. Um, that's no shade against Kirby, but I think uh, 
Yeah, I think there's a little bit of crossover there. Cro- crossover in terms of influence? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it's less. It's probably. I mean, I, it's hard not to find Kirby influence in artists sure, at this point yeah, in time. Of course. Yeah. Um, it, I think there's a little less direct line than say like uh, John Byrne, who is very clearly working on Fantastic Four, like doing his Stan and Jack book. Um, that said, Perez's Perez's level of like his attention to detail is yeah, absolutely, absolutely incredible. Mean, yeah. We've We've read a lot, um, not a lot, but we've read a handful of issues he's done in Avengers in the late 70s. Uh, He has, of course, since then done probably his most famous work, uh, definitely at the time, which was New Teen Titans with Marv Wolfman. Yes. Um, And then he's kind of hopping in here for like, it's Marvel Fanfare is kind of this interesting thing where it was launched as a bi-monthly, I think kind of like prestige format type series where it would just take focusing in on characters that otherwise obviously did not get a whole lot of focus. And uh, here he's working with writer, um, who is it, Ralph Macchio, mm-hmm. on uh, a Black Widow story. And the first issue is kind of strange in 10 because it's also got pencils by Bob Layton and Luke McDonald, both of whom are celebrated and respected in their own rights, but they're they're going up against Perez, like, really at the top of his game? Um, you know, yeah. we're two years before he would be the guy to, to pencil uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths for DC. So, like, and he's, then Wonder Woman, he's superstar my, my status. Fave of his no he kind of like he kind of like didn't really do anything meaningful after crisis it was just like you do the big crisis and then you're done no yeah no no no. he did did some great stuff in wonder woman too um he's a legend obviously but this black widow stuff is like this story without the perez art Mm -hmm. i don't i don't know that i'd be talking so fondly of it at all like i don't think based on story i'd be like yeah, this is a knockout. I'd Although actually I, probably I wouldn't even the, have it on the list. I think the story's okay. I liked each issue a little less than the last one. Because <laughs> I think it gets, like, each issue gets a little more sucked into, like, the minutiae of trying to, like, trying to take all this seriously. Like, it kind of loses that light touch it had for the first couple issues um, as it goes on. I don't know. I, I don't know how light a touch it has. Because it's all, oh, I think it's so. all spy games. It's all pretty... It's it's Bondian. I guess yeah. in the way Black yeah, yeah. Widow can be, but it's not like um, I don't know. You think there's like a nod and a wink to it? I'm not really getting that. Oh yeah, I think for sure. Like the yeah. um, in issue one, I mean, we get that <laughs> we get a splash page as she, I think she jumps out of her apartment building, like her 20th yeah. story window, and as she's, you know, we get this big splash page of her falling, but she's clearly like in a a pinup pose as she falls through the sky. That feels like very, you know, I don't know. It's pretty silly but i think intentionally yeah. so like I, I think they're having fun with this like i don't think this is supposed to be like real self-serious stuff um i think i think i just remembered good the introduction i wanted to do for you huh. uh, that i thought of a couple days ago that i just forgot oh because yeah, it's related to this book pull it out now. and i was going to say i'm joined today by an individual who carries a disgustingly gross bow and arrow in his fake skin back. <laughs> yeah yeah that's <laughs> his pretty fake fun. back skin because yeah, that shot of of Perez they do so many fun spy things you know mm-hmm, yeah. from Natasha stepping out of the shower fully suited and ready to battle mm-hmm, <laughs> with yeah. a bunch of shield agents to pulling a straight up bow and arrow out of fake skin in her back mm-hmm. to escape a tricky situation like there's a ton of that like you said yeah she's falling out of skyscrapers and landing in giant water towers and she's totally fine it's definitely the coolest the most powerful, the strongest, the sexiest that Natasha Romanoff has ever been. Yeah. It's also a shockingly great introduction to the character because Nick, it's Nick so Fury, full like, of exposition. Yeah, Nick Fury lays out her whole history in a really, I, I think, like... The whole fluid, thing. Yeah, but like a fluid way that doesn't feel 
you know, like you're reading the Wikipedia page. Like it's engaging. It's X Men Grand Design style. Yeah, yeah, it's very good. You know, um, yeah, and it's interspersed with like her actually fighting people. So you get this. It's good. It's well paced out. I do think this is like if you want to know what's up with Black Widow, this is a good place to start. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think unlike many comics we've read, this just does a good job of threading that needle of like it's comic booky fun. It's kind of goofy, but it's not like what's the word? It's not like um, trying to. I don't know. Like, it's trying to tell a good story while also not taking itself too seriously. I think that's, like, a a tougher needle to thread than you would think sometimes. Like, because either you go way too silly and it just feels like there's no stakes and it's completely groundless, or you're too self-serious. Yeah, I mean, I think in that vein, vein, we are starting to see the trend of, you know, a, a weaving in... I guess it's something that's been going on for a long time since either it's Harry Osborn's drug problem or over on the DC side, you know, my ward is a junkie and Green Lantern, Green Arrow of of weaving in more serious issues into comics. Um, I think that trend is picking up to a degree. You know, you see it in Miller's Daredevil a lot, mm-hmm. um, despite the fact that I think we would both. What do you mean like, for this, that, though? That I book's I also a lot of fun here. What do you mean? No, no, that's what I'm saying is this avoids that. Is like oh yeah no whereas, I'm just saying like whereas we see that in the pages of Avengers or Daredevil Marvel fanfare doesn't at least these Black Widow issues doesn't really have anything to do with that which allows it to exist sort of in the platonic superhero spy ideal yeah. state um, yeah, yeah. and to kind of have fun with it yeah I'm just I, saying I it like it it manages to not be like it keeps its grounding while also not being like taking itself too seriously you know like it's just fun uh and but also like yeah i don't know i I feel like a lot of comics try to i don't know i'm trying to think of a good example of when this goes wrong um like i don't know roy thomas stuff right like i think he sometimes felt like a little too like he was trying this segment is called zach on roy zach (laughs) slap down roy hit it zach (laughs) i don't know if roy thomas i i haven't thought about that too much i just like um just pause for 30 seconds while I think about this. I'm trying to, like, think of a this good is, example. This is riveting. This is riveting stuff. Like, the original X-Men movies versus the MCU. Like, the MCU does a good job of this. Versus, like, okay. some of the original X-Men movies, which you kind of feel like they're not poppy and fun, right? They felt like they had to be like, well, if we're going to tell a serious story, we need to be... Everyone needs to be in leather, and it needs to be kind of dark and grim. And Yes. And, I, and, I hear you know, the words that you're saying, I'm but not saying, having... It's literally nice. watched the Nightcrawler opening action sequence in X2 yesterday. Yeah. For oh, that's reasons. great. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Uh, first off, literally my favorite superhero movie. This is theater going experience. All right. Well, you're, you're you're choosing to. to I, I'm saying like it is a feat it's to be super able fun. to be like this is a real you know this is a story that you can still care about and get invested in while also being kind of like lighthearted and fun. Right. That's like. <laughs> I, I gotta say, I don't know the point you're trying to make because that that is superhero comics. Except that, that is all so like that. many of them. I think, I think they're not lighthearted in fun. I think they oftentimes get like dragged down into their own self importance. Not a lot of what we've been reading. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. I I'm gonna need at least one example. I not that thing. Not that books can't take themselves too seriously. But like, yeah, I mean, a lot or, of the Avengers. Their own self importance. I think a lot I, of the Avengers I, have. The Thor has for a while. Um probably late uh i don't know like some spider-man stuff like gets wrapped up in uh i don't, I, I am just saying that this has like a, a nice balance of tone between like lighthearted and 
Yeah, I mean, th- now we're getting way too into it because I guess I'm not. I am bemused. I am bemused. I will I mean, not. You, you don't think I will that not the deny MCU a level of snark coming across balanced. my face. Okay, you you don't you <laughs> don't think that don't like what the Endgame can balance having comic booky fun with real stakes better than like the original X Men movies? I, I don't understand how that comparison makes because sense. Because the original X-Men movies are really embarrassed about being comic books. Yeah, sure. Right. There's and, plenty of that. And it is a feat to be able to be like, this is a story you can care about while also having men running around in tights and big colorful costumes and a raccoon, etc. This, I feel like, yes. does that good job of being like, this is a fun spy story that feels relatively grounded while also having a team of six assassins like one of who's a sumo wrestler and one who's like a cowgirl from Texas with a, a yeah lariat. Like that, that's all I'm saying. I mean, th- this is now saying like I adore these comics, which I don't. I just think that like is where it really excels is being able to like balance those those different things. I think that's a tougher balancing act than you know we often give credit for. I I think your point about the six assassins uh, and making that I, yeah I mean it's got all that sort of fun. I don't know comic book goofiness that you would imply but it never it never just falls into farce it's never yeah. quite too yeah, silly exactly. um, it's all yeah, it's yeah. all just pretty well done i mean so we got ralph macchio george perez doing a really great job with this i mean at the end of the day you're here for two things you're here for catching up on what what's natasha's deal and what's going on with her origin here yeah right um, yeah, because yeah. we get some especially like so they recap all, all the stuff about stuff, hawkeye is wild on. like Apparently, Hawkeye yeah. was a much bigger love interest than I ever really noticed. Yeah, there's a ton of that through Tales of Suspense. I mean, we touched on it a bit, but I, I actually think the more important stuff is like her Russian heritage and background. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, the yeah. fact that she was tossed out of a window during the siege of Stalingrad mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. into the arms of Ivan Petrovich, who you know becomes a father figure to her. And this whole story is kind of about her reconnecting with him. I find that that component of it interesting. I find mm-hmm. it relevant. It's going to be a piece at the, at the very least of MCU Black Widow, yeah. Uh, Whensoever that movie should see theaters, so I, you know, these are these are important comics. If you're a Black Widow fan, uh, really in any capacity, and again, if you're a Marvel Universe fan at this point, um, Black Widow's obviously taken on a, a huge second life uh, post post MCU. So they're well worth checking out. I again, if I I did find myself skimming more for Perez art than reading every word certainly I think like ep- um, but issue that's four you know that's here I started to a little bit yeah all right any other s- just like scintillating scathing critical analysis oh of Marvel fanfare 10 to 13 f- frankly pretty rude pretty rude <laughs> okay. what is to make fun to bring of Roy Thomas back into this he's not even involved here. speaking of being rude Rhodey is not rude to Tony Stark, he's a good friend. Yeah, he's a really good friend. Speaking of being really a good, good friend, friend, not a good friend, the opposite of that is Rhodey to Tony Stark. <laughs> good transition. So that's, yep, nailed it. Iron Man number 169 <laughs> to number The best number thing about transitions is when you use double negatives to get there. Yeah, you know, you got to cancel them out. Otherwise, people yep. won't know what you're talking about. Um, it's Iron Man number 169 number 170. When I looked at this on the list, I was like, why am I why am I putting mm-hmm. an Iron Man issue yeah. back in here? yeah. yeah. And uh, and then I remembered uh, it's because these are hugely important issues. Yeah. I think the biggest, there's two huge things that happen in these issues. The first, or I guess the second and kind of the more lasting one is um, James Rhodes has to take on the Iron Man armor. And he's going to run around as Iron Man for a while to the point that when we get Secret Wars, it's going to be James Rhodes in the Iron Man armor, mm-hmm. which is very interesting, right? It develops yeah. Rhodey as a, as a, not only a character in the Marvel Universe, but a hero in his own right, which obviously is going to lead 
to the guys that people know him as eventually is War Machine. We won't get there for a while, though. The first thing, though, is actually way more fascinating because it's we just you know we had Demon in a Bottle not that long ago, and I had actually forgotten. Like Tony falls off the wagon, and he falls off the wagon hard. so hard, oh, so yeah. hard. I mean, this I is worse than this. anything we saw in Demon in the Bottle. Like he is way more of a mess here. I feel like they really just allowed him to become like pathetic in a way like hard to look at in a way that they didn't want to lean yeah. into in demon in the bottle um or like very rarely did because this whole issue like it is rough watching him you know like descend into this like and you get to see it through the eyes of the people who care about him which just makes it worse because they are just like you know helpless to help him i think in demon in a bottle one thing we see is as as he is losing control of his alcoholism Mm -hmm. there's an awareness to Tony Stark that it's a problem. There's an awareness of shame. And even if he's lashing out and doing things that are cruel, you know, potentially um, there, there's a growing sense of like, you can empathize with him because he's losing control of his actions, but he kind of knows it in these two issues. He has no shame. Mm -hmm. Like everything he's doing can be solved with another drink. He has, zero awareness kind of of how far he's falling until the the very very end obviously um it's i actually think really smart and really well done it's written by denny o'neill pencil yeah. by luke mcdonald uh mcdonald i should note would go on to pencil a lot of the really excellent uh, dc suicide squad written by john ostrander but i mean these two issues are are really good and it does all the kind of those bigger Iron Man ideas that I thought would be in Demon in a Bottle, like mm-hmm. Tony putting on the armor and flying into billboards, you know, and like fighting a hero he should beat, you know, with his eyes closed and losing yeah, because he's so right. drunk. Yeah. You yeah, know, it's yeah. all that like just reckless endangerment stuff. Um, and in the midst of this, Rhodey flies in and he sees Tony has fallen off the wagon and he he helps him where he can. Like he doesn't he doesn't immediately shame him or um come at him super hard, honestly. He kind of I don't know if enables him is the right word, but like he kind of lets him be Tony until Tony collapses, basically, yeah, and in a in a drunken, you know, fever, and demands that Rhodey put on the armor because no one else can do it. Yeah, does he? Dem- I guess he kind of demands, but then he like forgets that he did. <laughs> I mean, that's like they really lean into like he's so. I mean, he's so drunk that he is like forgetting that he even was in the suit the night before, right? Because then later he wakes up and oh, sees yeah. Iron Man on the TV. Rhodey fighting and he tries to get into his own suit and he like can't remember the combination lock <laughs> to to his yeah. uh, his like backup suit. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's rough and like you don't really know where this is going to go afterwards, right? Like Tony Stark gives up on being Iron Man, completely hands the keys over to Rhodey and Rhodey quits the Avengers for him. Um yeah, it's very uncertain because also Rhodey's not good at this. Like he doesn't put on the suit and immediately become like a fully capable Iron Man. He has to Yeah, I was going to uh, say like it's not something he was looking to do right, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah like he didn't he didn't apply for this position um he just helps out to like keep stark industries from being attacked basically um it, it should know too like he technically didn't know tony was iron man at this point tony mm-hmm. does reveal his identity to him here as well um we're also seeing some more i think within avengers around this time of of identities being just known they're they're playing less with that kind of obnoxious you know thing we've called out throughout a lot of the club of like pretending they don't know each other's identities that seems to be slipping. yeah it's getting more relaxed yeah. which is nice yeah yeah um yeah i, I mean really they, realize we'll talk about that in thor but there's a funny moment 
and Thor about. That. Oh, that might be what I'm thinking of then. Yeah. Um, I I had kind of forgotten too. Like I always think of you know so '86 is Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns and and Daredevil: Born Again and all that stuff, and it tends to in my mind be more associated with like okay deconstructing superheroes, but you can really see kind of the rise of that wave here as well because mm-hmm. so like yeah. the last couple of years we've seen the deconstruction not deconstruction but like the descent of hank pym demythologizing of tony stark yeah yeah demythologizing humanizing um yeah. it, all the stuff that actually we kind of see a lot of in ultimates which we just mm-hmm. read in uh, yeah and discussed like in my version. ultimate year yeah. yeah yeah you know it's it's a ton of that like this is without question the worst tony stark has been right like he is unfit to wear the Iron Man armor. I think there's no question about it um, in addition to doing much of anything else. So, and the issue doesn't end with Tony just conveniently like kicking the habit again either. Like this is going to be a thread through Iron Man that, you know, his, he's an alcoholic and he's fallen off the wagon. And how does, how does he and everyone around him respond to that? Yeah. 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 Good issues. Um, Good art too. And Obadiah Stane is also like this looming threat. Like he is destroying Stark Industries from the background, something like that. So uh, that yeah, that kind of prompts too much here, that kind of kicks kinda, off. Yeah, you feel like that's uh, gonna go Tony's somewhere. descent. Yeah. Is, is his company's being taken over by a stain? He's going bankrupt, and uh, he turns to the drink. Yep. Um. So that leads us. Speaking of drink, Thor drinks in the stars when he flies through the cosmos in Thor. Could have could have gone with Thor drinks a lot of beer, which he does. Thor's a big, he does big he doesn't have these issues. Um, that, that'd be a yeah. That, that might be a later development. That'd be a his, stupid transition that made no sense, and everyone would laugh at you. Just laugh and laugh. Yeah. Okay. Be the first <laughs> laugh they had on this podcast. But um, it's both of us. our podcasts. <laughs> yeah, we're Nailed both on the podcast. That's self burn. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. This is Thor three thirty seven to three thirty nine. Uh, yeah. Walt Simonson, written and drawn, and boy howdy. Mm-hmm. Is this the start of something great? Three issues oh, yeah. here. This is the debut of Beta Ray Bill. It is the debut of my favorite and really inarguably the best run on Thor of all time. And it's excellent. Everything about it is excellent. You should read every single issue of this run. Do not take yeah. the My yeah, Marvelous Year Curated around. List as yeah. gospel here. This is another <laughs> read every don't, don't issue of seriously. the list. Don't take us seriously, you know, but just, just yeah. know we're reading everything, even if it says we're reading less because not everybody has that much time. Yeah. Yes, agreed. Uh, I mean, he's immediately like the confidence in which he shows up with Simonson, which he is he's writing and drawing this. Um, and he just shows up. It, it reminds me a lot of Claremont in the early days, but even more so that he shows up and is just like, yeah, here's six threads, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to pursue mm-hmm. all these, but like I'm laying the groundwork for a long term run while also keeping like a really nice tight focus on the main story that there are all these little things. So like Balder in the background is depressed from having died, <laughs> gone to hell, uh, and come back to life. And he is mm-hmm. just, like, completely immobilized by the knowledge of, like, the people that he killed and put in, into hell uh, and, like, having seen them there, right? Like, that facing that reality has completely, like, shattered his mind. Um, yeah, you know what he's doing? You know what he's weaving into a Thor story? Hmm. Is Tales of Asgard. Like, he is weaving the Tales of Asgard backups into I think that was Thor main run. like the fake Ragnarok story. That's how that kicked off. I, I remember I actually on the podcast like recommended people listen to that if they want to be completionists a while ago. Oh no no I'm not saying that I'm not saying the Balder thing specifically came. Oh you mean just Tales of Asgard? Oh, but I'm general. saying the inspiration yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. of yeah, you know yeah. the Silver Age Thor is really making Asgard a place mm. and really developing the mythology and having yeah. all these supporting characters not just 
in concert with Thor, right? Not just, oh, here's Thor's journey and Balder happens to be along for the ride. They all, we get windows into their day to day. Yes. We get yes, windows yes. into the Warriors 3 and Volstag joking around and, and being Volstag's a goof with great, people, yeah. right? Sitting yeah, on yeah. people. We get Loki in his, uh, you know, isolated hideaway and his schemes with Lorelai. We get Odin on his throne and what he's thinking about and, you know, the, the decisions he's making. Like, Asgard has never felt, since Kirby at least, like just a place you can go. This and, fleshed out, yeah. And move around in, you know, mm-hmm. and with people that live in it. Um, it's it's kind of everything you want in a Thor story because then you, simultaneously you have Thor on Earth in a human guise in Chicago, at least when we start. And, uh, and you know, as this issue begins, he is captured by S.H.I.E.L.D. and told about an alien invasion that he has to go stop. We also get here, so S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of pulls Don Blake aside and he, they're like, hey, we need the big guy. Or Nick Fury tells him, hey, we need the big guy. And... uh Don Blake's like, <laughs> what? You need a doctor? What do you mean? Well, you mean, yeah, I'm a cane doctor. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Nick Fury says, <laughs> which I like. He's like, listen, I'm the director of Shield. I know all these things. This is good. This is a good development for Nick Fury. He should know <laughs> who all oh, the heroes are. Oh yeah, you're are. right. I mean, that's all, I thought about it just in like good to do away with the you know the Don Blake Thor thing as an Avenger, right? It's silly that no one knows that Don Blake and Thor are the same person like in the Avengers. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. For like Nick Fury, it's a good development to start seeing him as the like ultimate spy master who just has to know all this stuff, which is an aspect of him we haven't seen too too much of. No, yeah. And in I terms mean, of your oh, your note on. about the long term planning, yeah, I do just want to say the book opens Ooh, with yeah. these like super metal, amazing looking hammer forging a sword shots, and the the letter caption with letters here by John Workman, which is a the Simmons and mm-hmm. Workman partnership is an all timer. Um, just saying doom over and over. It's so good. It's such yeah. an effective opening and it's clearly building to something, right? Like it's it's setting up this ramp that is not delivered on in this story. Um, but the planning is is awesome. Like it's what makes this run or part of what makes this run so fun. All right, what are you gonna say? Yeah, I mean, like you were saying, Weaves and Tales of Asgard, but then he also like he does a good job of taking all this Asgard stuff, kind of revitalizing it, like making it feel new and fresh again, while also like really paying homage to the, the you know, like the actual mythology here. Um, I mean, you get like what Thor's uh, Thor's goats. Have we seen them before? We haven't seen them, but have they been in Marvel before? Tooth Snasher and Tooth Grinder, right? His like his I, deeds. I don't know. If I don't know. I don't know if they've been up. in it before. They certainly have been a lot since. Um, yeah. It, I, I I do think Sim, I think of Simonson pulling a lot from actual Asgardian mythology yeah, that's into what I mean, his run. Yeah. I definitely can't say how much of that had already been done because I haven't read 70s Thor super closely. Yeah. Well, but he does all that while also just a second. Uh no, they showed up in 1976, the uh the goats. Sure. Um he does all that Which I would say they're just... I would say they're the goats of goats. Oh my god. He does all that while also pushing Thor into You can't name uh, a better goat. You know you can't. Oh, Black Phillip. Black <laughs> my favorite Who's guy. that? Who's Black Phillip? <laughs> I'm not going to tell. I think it would just be funnier if I don't tell you who Black Phillip is. All right, all right don't tell did. me. Yeah. It's just Black Phillip. Now I have to Google um, Black Phillip. That can't go wrong. Yeah. No, it's fine. Um, he does all that, like the, the Asgard stuff, making it like it's totally its own Marvel thing while still weaving in the like the mythology stuff. And then also he's taking Thor into like weird new... <laughs> <laughs> just god i can't get this sentence out did you look up black on the answer yeah he's a, he's a cool goat right yeah nice call um also weaving in like this weirdness right like beta ray bill 
just weird, right? Like we're gonna get into some stuff here where like Thor gets becomes the home, kind of like how um, X Men, right? Like what Claremont's doing with X Men, where he just like you know you know the mutants, but also you know here's some Morlocks and here's some uh, here's the Brood and here is you know there's the Phoenix and there's the future. Like he's taking the X Men and then he's just adding a million new little like aesthetics to it and a bunch of different little sub universes within it, like he. Simonson is kind of doing the same thing with Thor. Here. Yeah, and it's totally. not just and it's not just fleshing out Asgard, which is great. Like he's doing that, but he's also I mean Jason Aaron does some similar stuff with a uh, you know like the God Butcher stuff like that, where it's like weaving mythology in with its own little sci-fi nod stuff. Um, I mean like because he uh, he takes Odin. One of the first times we've seen Odin in a role besides just huffing around Sitting. Asgard, <laughs> right? And just like being you know petulant <laughs> right we I think see on him. a variant cover we we voted odin least likely to do anything <laughs> right there was something <laughs> I, I to that, effect. that but yeah yeah he like because he goes and visits the gnomes to uh to forge a new hammer and like he shows up in his different aspect of the that like um which is like a real thing in mythology that odin is this like wanderer this one-eyed wanderer you know and he's got the brim of his hat pulled down and it's not the, the odin we've seen with the big armor and everything like um, yeah yeah it's very cool. It's cool stuff. Shout so should... to Eitri. I think the character that uh, Peter Dinklage played. Yeah, in, I, um, I, yeah, it feels pulled from in that, Avengers: yeah. Infinity War. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that whole sequence of uh, forging the hammer is a ton of fun. It's the dwarves so, yeah. of Nival. N- what is it? Nivalir. Nivalir. That's uh, that's also pulled from in Infinity War. Yeah. So you, like, you're getting all this cool stuff. Of course, the reason Odin is there. Mm-hmm. In terms of yeah, we should talk about considering getting a, a new hammer. BBB. is because Thor keeps getting his butt kicked by Beta Ray Bill. <laughs> um, yeah. So Beta shows up as um, as an apparent alien invader on his mm-hmm. way to Earth. Very silly. And Thor, you know, they they do the classic. We better fight. No, so I I, out. I do want to point this out. It is similar to that. Like we've had a lot of those before, uh-huh. but usually we're in on the joke. I think that's kind of the big difference here is that Beta. Oh, Ray you don't Bill, actually know. Yeah, right. like you, unless you know this, right? Like Beta Ray Bill, to all appearances, is a bad guy to us for yeah. a while. So this fight eventually gets concluded in like, oh no, they should have just stopped and talked, right? This was a misunderstanding. I think that mm-hmm. kind of makes a lot of the difference instead of like, oh, here's two heroes we like, and now they're just going to fight, and it feels contrived. This, I think, just eliminating that kind of like insider information helps this a lot more and also the fact that's a really good point because if you're reading it for the first time (laughs) yeah yeah no he's he looks like he'd be a bad guy i guess right he's basically i mean it's as as menacing a horse can be which is like why it's so cool when like oh no he's as worthy of the hammer as thor and sif falls in love with him two issues later you're like oh wow cool okay that's really unexpected right like he really pulls the rug under from you out from under you because he you know he sets you up with these other expectations yeah he does in fact hold up mjolnir as i i mean i think like the really the first character to do so in any meaningful capacity yeah they've they've played with it here and there but not not in the way of like you know i'm worthy so not not somebody's gonna be usually yeah it's usually just like someone who's just like i'm strong i can hold the hammer and they kind of I'm, i'm the writer is just choosing to ignore the like rules of the hammer yeah, and I do like here that when Beta Ray Bill picks it up, you know, he gets his he gets his own Thor costume put on. It's oh, great. <laughs> because that comes very with the hammer. Cute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is very super cute. fun. Yeah. Um and then so Beta Ray Bill and Thor, they kind of come to an understanding that like okay, they're kind of on the same side here. Odin recognizes this as well in Asgard and uh basically Beta Ray Bill says though like 
I won that hammer fair and square though. I want to keep it. <laughs> I need it for my people. And Odin's like, fine, you guys do battle to the death in uh, in these lava pits and whoever wins can have the hammer. Mm-hmm. And yet again, Beta Ray Bill wins. But rather than leave Thor or throw him in the lava to his death, he saves him because he's mm-hmm. super honorable and a good guy. And a as a result, guy. Odin I, makes him Stormbreaker, his well, own I, hammer. I mean, the, it, Odin, Odin doesn't just make him Stormbreaker. Beta Ray Bill actually, like, asks Odin for help. And he just says, like, I won, but it's not right for me to, like, take the hammer from such a, you know, like, an honorable foe. And Thor doesn't deserve to, like, lose it. Like, isn't there anything you can do? Like, Beta Ray Bill doesn't want to just win it from him. You know, right. he, like wants to find some compromise here he also is in on the fact that odin chose a battleground that would benefit beta ray bill like he said he was raised on like a fiery planet um Mm. and that gave beta ray bill the edge beta ray bill is kind of aware of that that like thor or odin might be trying to like teach thor a lesson in humility here um which i love like it's great it's first time we've seen yeah and obviously that calls back to those origins yeah you know of of thor and odin to begin with i i do think too like it's it's quite well done by Simonson and, and company that uh, it's such a process to make a hammer like this, you know, because mm-hmm. you can't, you don't want to have like somebody show up and have him Odin just kind of, oh, magics them a Mjolnir because then yeah, it's like, right. well, he could just, they're a dime a dozen, right? So it's a process. He has to go like, through all the, yeah, the protocols yeah. with the trolls and all that. Um, but once he gets him Stormbreaker, then immediately Bill and Thor have to turn around and head off to fight these demons that are coming for Bill's people, which is you know, kind of what uh, what Bill told him that talked Odin into making him the hammer to begin with. So, uh, mm-hmm. to your point, then the goats, the goat of the goats, Tooth Nasher and Tooth... Well, who's the goat among Tooth Nasher and Tooth Grinder? That's a tricky one. I don't know that I have a preference. I am disinterested Who would you pick, in this. Nasher this, or Grinder? Okay, this joke does If you could go on an app me. called Nasher or Grinder, which one would you pick? <laughs> uh, just like G... G-N-S-R, Nasher. Yeah, look that up real quick. <laughs> it sounds uh Can can I violent. just point out just cuz I'm I'm uh, poo-pooing your your sports talk here. How sports talk infuriating, talk about goats. Well, I know. How infuriating I am being towards <laughs> anyone who knows how the final four actually works with our March badness because I called our last eight match-offs when we had 16 people the elite eight like yes so just called them match-offs. <laughs> 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 did i <laughs> match ups yeah. playoffs whatever um yeah because it's like now we have four matchups left and that's the final four and okay. then we'll have yep. two and that's the terrible two the terrible two and then Not we'll the have finals. the final no and then we'll have the final one matchup which is the onerous uh-huh. one what were you calling it when it was eight i missed that elite eight. Oh yeah that's right but when there's 16 players left, eight matchups. Oh, that is infuriating. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> okay, I see it. I see it yeah. now. Yeah, that is our that is our March Madness poll that is being run by... I'm going to go the first person I've ever met who truly has no concept of March Madness, <laughs> which is actually kind good, of though. wild a lot of fun. and fun. Um, you can check that out. Sp- actually, anyone can Spider-Man is daily, beating Wolverine. Uh, until we're done. We are on the final no, four it's now. Too, it's way, and it's over on yeah, patreon.com slash my marvelous yeah. year. Yeah, if you if you're hearing this, it's already well over. Um, yeah, Spider-Man. You can, if you're hearing beating, this, you can just go see the results. Apparently, yeah, yeah. There's a bracket I'm posting. Spider-Man is beating Wolverine like three to one. That's kind of crazy. That is like one of the more unexpected results. I'm but... I'm not surprised, but you're you're kind of right. I am a little bit. I thought it would be like at least a little. I mean, he's it's basically this. It's literally actually at, as of this moment, he's beating it the same as Magneto beat Jean Grey. Like. Which that feels more obvious to me that Magneto would beat Jean Grey with that kind of a 
a ratio, but like Spider-Man and Wolverine. I thought Wolverine would have a little more power here. Anyway. Um, he does not. Yeah, he definitely does so not among love. our... You know, I do want to call out... We'll talk about this on the variant cover, I bet, but um, hmm. Kitty Pride Nightcrawler. The closest possible voting showdown I think mm, we ever could yeah. have imagined. That was Wolverine fun. versus we'll Storm the was the only one that tied. So this one ended like, I think, uh, Nightcrawler... Oh, they ended in vote. a tie? Yeah, we flipped a coin for that one. Ah, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, okay. this could have been Spider-Man versus Storm, which probably would have fared the same, I'm guessing. Anyway. Let's, yeah, uh, let's I kind of like Storm in that matchup. The... Anywho. Yeah. Anywho. Uh, so okay, Thor, so Simonson, Simonson Thor, Thor, read all of it. Simonson. It's the best. Oh, if you, if you love this uh, Simonson? I call him Simonson. Simonson. I, I alternate between the two because I don't know, and clearly I should watch an interview or something. I'm going to go with Simonson. Walt Simonson's. Um, if you like this work, he does a series in the 2000s that is also like Norse mythology. It's kind of weird that he yeah. dips back into this well called uh, Ragnarok, right? Is that what yeah. It's called? And it's like, I think he just did a third little series of it it's excellent it's like after ragnarok has happened and it follows uh thor through that and it's completely different like feels like a totally different vibe but it's a really fun series it's pretty short too so you can read yeah, it. yeah i held off for a minute because i thought it would be too similar you no, know yeah, i thought it's... it would feel like oh he's just doing this because he can't get to do thor anymore or already yeah. did it but it's yeah. it's its own thing and it's awesome yeah it really leans into the mythology i mean thor's dead throughout it like thor's a skeleton you know, as the series opens, that's like the hook. Spoilers. Of it. No, that that is the premise of the comic. <laughs> is that it is like a, a dead Thor uh, wandering yeah. through this. Anyway, let's uh, let's jump. Speaking of dead Thor, Fantastic Four it rhymes. What rhymes? <laughs> <laughs> You're getting worse at this somehow. I don't know. My goodness. True. Uh, speaking of dead Thor, Galactus is, is dying. These transitions are the pages writing. of Fantastic Four number two hundred fifty-seven. I feel like that's a fair transition. Get a yeah. lot of Galactus yeah, yeah. internal monologue. One. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is awesome. It's really cool. <laughs> uh, two fifty eight does that was it. That's it on two fifty seven. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. It's really cool. Two thumbs up. Yeah. Next no, review. it's no, it's yeah, it's really cool. It's like the whole story is from Galactus's point of view. Well, no, I guess at the end we switch to the Fantastic Four, but the first like two thirds of this comic, and, uh, I think, and Nova. Oh, our new, oh, our new herald of Galactus. Yeah, let's get this out of the way. God, I mean, I think we already talked about this, but like. How many young women pine over, like, you know, powerful men? Like, Nova is falling in love with Galactus here because he is, like, powerful and aloof, she says. And it is just like, come on, John. Like, please stop airing your weird fantasies on the page. To be fair, to be fair, mm-hmm. we have never seen a Galactus Herald romance. Mm-hmm. They didn't show us what was going on with Norrin and Galactus on those lonely nights, right? <laughs> Just, uh, just, pol- throwing just throwing it out there. Just throwing it out there. Silvery head of uh, of Norman's. He's so polished. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love it. Uh, yeah, this is ri- yeah. written, penciled, inked by John. There's, Byrne there's another example here, here too. That what, some girl lunges at Johnny Storm, and then there's another. Like he really likes just having like women uh, pining after men who you know are kind of uh, who are like not equally as into them. It's weird. Like this. Yeah. We're going to see this in Alpha Flight next next episode. Like, this is just a, such a reoccurring thing. It's weird. Yeah, it's also like, all right, you've got Galactus talking about his place in the cosmos. He's literally having conversation here with, like, Lady Death. He's talking about his own need for sustenance and the mm-hmm. fact that, yeah. you know, he's he's kind of in trouble here. And then to, <laughs> just, like, to give Nova something to do. It's mm-hmm. literally just like, well, I haven't had... I don't have anything for her to do. So what if she's falling in love with Galactus? It's yeah, it's, it's just, very tired immediately. It's just it's also it's just like it's irrelevant. 
to what's going well, on, and it's it also, also doesn't clearly make you any didn't sense. have a plan like, for her. It's just nonsense. Like it feels it feels silly in knowing John Byrne and his like predilection storytelling predilections. It just feels completely out of place. Anyway, I just wanted to get that out of the way because otherwise, this is like my favorite John Byrne batch we've read. I really liked all this. I think this is all yeah. excellent. The stuff that it's setting up with Galactus. Galactus has never felt like more of a threat. Uh, well, I mean, because he literally kills a whole planet of sentient beings, right? Like not just he's not talking. just a whole planet, not just any planet, not just any planet. How these... dare you? He he eats the Skrull throne world. Yeah, it's um, yeah, yeah. it's also the most on the ground look that we get into yeah, like horrifying. the Skrulls freaking out and some of their protocols. Like they're aware of Galactus. Yeah, you know, been, the Skrulls are yeah. a giant civilization in in the galaxy. They have protocols to like keep him away. Yep. So they are quite surprised when suddenly he shows up and eats their throne world. This is a this has ramifications today. Of course, Today, yeah. I mean, right? As Road to Empire launches yeah. in 2020, like this is a big deal. Um, yeah. And obviously it's going to come back in this run as well. But that sequence alone makes 257 uh, well worth the time. Yeah, yeah, it's really effective. I mean, and like getting a peek into Galactus's head, right? Like as he contemplates yeah. his own death, that's all fascinating. Death has this whole thing about how like Galactus is integral to the universe and the like cycle of life in the universe. Like... Without mm-hmm. Galactus, the universe would screech to a halt, which I don't fully understand. Because um, she says that Galactus and herself, Death, are two corners of a triangle. I don't know if she specifies who the other <laughs> the other corner is. Because we don't have... There's no, like, personification of life, is there? Well, there's an avatar of life, which is typically Adam Warlock. This is some Jim Starlin cosmic cosmology mm. for you. Okay, yeah. Um, I don't... That. I don't know what that triangle would mean. You could point to like eternity, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's the first, probably the biggest one that comes to mind. Although he seems kind of bigger than both of them, in a way. Yeah, so. I don't know. But anyway, all that, all that's really interesting. And then we move into a three-part story with two fifty-eight to two sixty. With if I had not, if I had read these before we got on this Doom conversation, I might have been singing a different tune dave because this is i mean i've already said like john burns doom is the best i've liked doom right i really liked doom before when he came in and like started ruling latveria and like he Mm -hmm. characterizes doom the best that i like this is like the doom that i am way into which is like a ruthless leader but not needlessly cruel right like he just has his principles and he has his like way of viewing the world and Mm -hmm. like you don't cross those lines with him like they show you know he has to like hold court and he has supplicants and they're like yeah he uh he judges them all fairly right like he's got how he uh his his laws but like he you know deals with all their problems fairly he he has a ward now a little boy that he rescued like because his mother died and he took him in as an orphan and he's like teaching the ways of the world um and you know the boy like insults him by saying that magneto is as powerful as him and he gets mad at him but he doesn't like disintegrate him he just sends him to his room <laughs> you know like um he, he's thinking about disintegrating him yeah, yeah i again i love I, it you, what you're saying is right but i do think like there's clearly still that edge of doom's gonna kill some people i mean he kills <laughs> disagreeing well, with but him also like the, that's what i like though is he kills the um he kills the scientist that he had a scientist working on something to replicate giving him the silver surfers powers again like he had before and then when the scientist comes... 457 to 60. Nice Ooh. callback to one of the best FF story. Actually, yeah, that, that whole sequence from like from like 48 to 60 is just... They do, they do a callback. John Bird does a callback to that exact panel of uh, 
of Doctor Doom flying the surfboard like right at the camera. That's really fun. Sadly, not the surfer looking at stars looking sad. Just screaming. <laughs> yeah, I love that one. Um, yeah, so this doctor like says he's ready. You know, he's like, please step into this chamber. We'll give you the cosmic power. And Doctor Doom's like, oh, no, no. And then he giggles you first. to himself. And he shoves the guy <laughs> in the tube and the guy becomes like disintegrated into a pile of ash. Yeah. Love it. Like, I like Doctor Doom being this ruthless just not like because i feel well, that was somebody's gonna try to kill him too right so it yeah can exactly be viewed I, as, I don't uh, know. as deserved i just feel like you need to modulate that to like have doom be successful for me where like he's not just killing people for stepping on his cape right he might lash out at them but he's not just like a madman he's a lot so burn is is very very deliberately making him a lot less yeah like you're saying madman stereotype supervillain and way more, he's got honor, he's got yeah. feelings, he's got emotion. Um, but above all, like, yes, he is, he's the honorable villain now, right? Yeah. And and Burn Love really, yeah. really steps that up. Um, that said, he is still obsessed with destroying the Fantastic Four. That yes. hasn't gone away, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? So as Doom kind of develops uh, a little more nuanced, I guess, uh, personality, his his goals are ultimately the same. So in this instance, I thought it was going to be the way the story sets it up is like, okay, he wants to figure out how to get the power cosmic. I thought, you know, I'm assuming he wants to put this within himself. What he actually does is he discovers where Tyros the Tamer, T-Rex, landed mm-hmm. after the Fantastic Force last battle with him and Galactus in I want to say FF probably 242 to 245. He finds him at probably 244 and uh and he gives the power back to T-Rex, who thinks he wants it. What he yep. doesn't tell T-Rex is you can only use this for like five hours and then it's going to short circuit you because he knows it's a faulty machine made by this scientist who disintegrated right so he gives the power cosmic back T-Rex says hey the Fantastic Four did this to you in the first place let's go get him T-Rex sets out to do just that and we get a big old brouhaha except Reed Richards is missing as of the end of Fantastic Four number 257 yeah Uh, I really like how Sue Storm gets portrayed by him that's mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Like he gives, he makes Sue Storm ultra powerful here. Like she faces off against Doom, and she like says like, <sighs> yeah, I can't remember. It, like Doom even acknowledges that she would have a decent chance of beating him one on one, and he like kind of avoids that fight by saying like, you can fight me and maybe win, or you can go save Johnny Storm and Ben Grimm who are fighting Terax. Well, Andy sent the like, Doombot. Right, exactly. Too. Who she crushes the head of, right? She, like, knocks its head off with, a, you know, like a force blast or something. She can basically fly by, like, manipulating her force fields here. Yeah. She she tries to suffocate Terax by, like, putting a um a bubble around his head and, like, removing the oxygen. Like, he's mm-hmm. really leaning into making her a cool, powerful character. I like all that a lot. Um, What else? His covers are excellent. There's that Doom cover where Doom is... A, Doom's hand is ripping the... Uh, the page and you can see the front page the first page of the comic underneath it yeah that's cool as hell that's such a fun and (laughs) then you flip the page and it's the same like it's the same one underneath that's awesome yeah not the first nor last time we'll see something like that but that's awesome i do also love so t-rex is kind of winning the fight Mm -hmm. with the fantastic three yeah when doom realizes like oh reed's missing and then doom's like no if Reed's not here, it's not fair. It's all this for isn't not. the time. Yeah. Yeah. I have to go stop T-Rex. And he just straight starts fighting T-Rex one-on-one, mm-hmm. just like ignoring <laughs> the Fantastic Four. Yeah. It's excellent. I love that. Just that like you can attribute it to honor or just his own like warped view of this this need to destroy the Fantastic Four and prove he's the better 
of Reed Richards. And if Reed's not there, he doesn't even, he's like, no, I will fight to the death with someone else to prevent him from getting my victory. Yeah. Um, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, cool doom. Oh, and, like and doom. in a nod to the Jack and, and Stan fantastic four, John Byrne ends the issue with uh, Sue finding Dr. Doom's battered mask oh, inside yeah. the crater. Doom gone? For and Doom, real Is Doom gone? Is <laughs> yeah. he gone for good yet again? We don't know. Mm-hmm. Time yeah. will tell. Yeah, good stuff. Good Fantastic Four. And I'm really looking forward to what this is leading into. Like, they're hinting. I mean, we don't know where um, Reed Richards is. And, like, the story that this leads into, I love. So I'm really excited about that. Um, so I am very excited about the next... There's a couple episodes. Our next episode, Alpha Flight, finally get to talk about it. Mm-hmm. 1984, we're doing something pretty special, probably our most anticipated episode yet um, by, like, the fans and the host of this show and just, like, comic book reading population on Earth. Um, Even that, people who haven't heard of the show. Yeah, they know. The they, buzz is, the getting, buzz is getting around. Uh, this, yeah. is, this is the talk of Marvel offices, all the Marvel Studios. Marvel Studios, Kevin Feige knows about this. <laughs> Yeah, I, I couldn't believe when we were hacking into Feige's Alexa the other night <laughs> that he was talking about My Marvelous Year. It was really cool. Well, specifically about the episode in 1984 that we're doing, Zach's Choice. We're going to do... <laughs> oh, did you not know this is what I was talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I thought maybe you were talking about the fact that 84 kicks off with a Secret Wars special, a much ballyhooed Secret Wars event special. But no, we're talking about Zach's Choice. Yeah, Secret and Wars yes, is the poison like every Zach's time. Choice is the antidote so we're oh, gonna do secret wars get first your antidote baby mm-hmm. actually I, i'm excited about re- we're, we're dedicating an entire episode to secret wars which i don't know if that <laughs> if that pans out but um, if that pans out how dare if, i'm already mad we haven't even started the episode i mean it's gonna be like two minutes of me making farting noises and then you just like sputtering for another five just because you can't produce any good content doesn't mean I can't. I'll talk for Secret Wars by myself for an hour if that's what it takes, and it probably will. It's 12 issues yeah. of a gazillion things happening. It's true. There's we'll, zero we'll have, chance we'll have, we don't have enough to talk about. We'll have plenty to talk about. But yeah, after that, yeah. we're going to do an episode where I picked all the comics. Yeah, I'm so I did. I, I am definitely not in the habit of letting anyone add comics to the My Marvelous Year list. Mm-hmm. That said... Zach has done a very good job. Oh, thank you. Making My Marvelous Year a possibility, editing the podcast, keeping up with all the patron and all you slackers over in the MMY channel. And as a thank you, when Zach said, <laughs> I love how you have some were... issues to recommend, I <laughs> gifted him. Framing this as if this was a episode. gift and not like, I was just like, yeah, I got some stuff to add to 1984. And you're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> 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 this, this was like. Dave, you know, came to me with a, a present wrapped in a yeah. bow and was no, like, "A benevolent, a benevolent extension." Uh, no, this was awful. Offer. I genuinely this was awful. Me, Why was it awful? Uh, coming up with this list because I knew so basically, like I had a handful, probably like four or five issues that I knew mm-hmm. I wanted to read for 1984. I wanted to add to the list, and then I was like, I had the idea of just fleshing it out to a full episode length, and then like trying to like dig through the comics to add enough issues in. And I'm happy with everything I found and, like, everything I came up with. But, like, yeah. it's a lot of work. I didn't know you had to do all this work. I kind of thought these lists just wrote themselves. <laughs> they just <laughs> fell from the sky on Steam yeah. tablets. Yeah, they just feel and we've been using you know, them inevitable. ever since. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, so this is a, a backwards way of complimenting you for how hard this is to do because uh, it takes a lot of work. So, Well, it was similarly hard for me to compliment you 
<laughs> on editing the podcast. So I think we're even. Uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm super excited about 1984. Of course, we do have 1983 Part 4 first, where we are going to do a limited series Bonanza. Yeah, We're going to do Vision and the Scarlet Witch <clears throat> issues 1 to 4, Alpha Flight issues 1 to 5. I guess that's not a limited series, but no. a new series. No, that runs and forever. Been. That, that's a should have been limited series that continued to run. How dare you. And then we're going to do Cloak and Dagger number 1 to 4. Because guess what? There's a lot of Cloak and Dagger in the early 80s. Like a My memory amount, is that I can it feels never, worth touching on it. I never cared about Cloak and Dagger and can never bring myself to, but... Uh... Yeah, your memory's right. To read it, your memory's right. I'll I'll tell you what. Right now, I'm gonna call for it. If you're a big cloak and dagger fan, uh-huh. reach out mymarvelthisyear at gmail dot com at mymarvelthisyear on the MMY Slack. I just want to meet you. I just want to know what it's like there's being some, the cloak and dagger fan. I feel like there's some story that's more modern. There's a cloak and dagger story where they're like in somebody else's comic. And they're cool in works. Runaways. They're cool I haven't in read. Runaways. I, I haven't read good. Runaways. But there's like something where Cloak has like really lost control, something like that. Um, she has lost yeah, control uh, again. A little yeah. Joy Division for you. Mm-hmm. All right. Before I start singing more, uh, mm-hmm. we should probably wrap things up. Thanks everybody for listening. Yeah. Again, if you want to find all those comics that we're reading, check the show notes or go on over to Patreon.com/slash/MarvelOfThisYear. Um, yeah, and we'll be back with 1983 Part Four next week. I'm Dave. You can find all my stuff at comicbookherald.com. He's Zach. You can find him at My Marvelous Year on the socials. Right. And uh, music is by Disasterpiece. Thanks, Disasterpiece, for the excellent theme song. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And as always, we'll see you next year. See you next year. Uh-huh.